before you and ask for your your word to come out clearly to our hearts today. Help me as I speak that it would be only Jesus that we hear from. We open our hearts to you now through Jesus. Amen. Ashamed, afraid, absent, mere hours after they pledged their devotion to Jesus, they would never leave him, they would even die with Jesus. The eleven were nowhere near the cross as the sun began to set. The Roman soldiers were still there, however. They pierced Jesus' side to prove that he was, in fact, dead, very dead. Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus, an unlikely duo, showed up at the cross. These two members of the Sanhedrin shed their secret discipleship and took responsibility for burying Jesus' body. Wrapping him in enough spices for a king, they laid him in a nearby tomb, tomb that had been made for Joseph, but now Jesus is in it. Remembering Jesus' words that he would rise from the grave, the Jewish authorities got Pilate to secure the tomb to post a guard, and Sabbath came. Early Sunday morning, a small band of women approached Jesus' tomb, wondering who could remove the giant rock that sealed the entrance. Imagine their shock when the rock was moved and an angel greeted them, announcing to them that Jesus was not there. He is risen, just as he said, announced the angel. Hearing the women's report, Peter and John sprinted to the tomb. They too found it empty. But they left the tomb wondering what it might mean. Not sure at all, but wondering. In spite of Jesus' repeated predictions about his death, burial, and resurrection, the disciples seemed somehow to be totally unprepared for this event. They leaned, if anything, toward disbelief, not belief. When they heard the report about an empty tomb, they looked for some other explanation for why he had risen from the dead. Their wonder is understandable to us, after all, because they had in mind a certain kind of king. Jesus was not that kind of king. Jesus refused to be an earthly king. He refused to use his power for his own good, for his own position. Their whole dream began to unravel quickly that night before Jesus' death, when Jesus would not resist arrest. Peter rose up, he drew his sword, tried to defend Jesus, and Jesus said, put away your sword. And all the disciples ran away, partly out of fear, partly out of disappointment. What? Now what? <laughs> they had been helpless to stop his death. Their dreams were totally shattered, and now they hid behind locked doors, uncertain of their future. Their spirits sunk as low as they possibly could. And then suddenly the women showed up saying that the grave is empty. There's, there's nobody there. Nobody. What logical explanation could possibly explain that? Certainly not resurrection. No one had ever risen from the dead before by their own power, even though Jesus had raised some others. Nobody could raise themselves from the dead. You're dead. You're gone. That's the end of the story. Was Jesus' resurrection real? Did it really happen? How can we know for sure? And if it was real, then will we be resurrected also? 
Will we be raised from the dead someday? How can we know for sure? These are big questions, important questions. We need to get the answers to these questions. The Apostle Paul made the resurrection of Christ of first importance, he said, in his teaching to the church at Corinth. He said that the entire gospel, the entire good news of Jesus Christ rises and falls on the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. No pun intended. It all depends on this event. If Jesus never came back from the grave, how can we expect to? Without Jesus' resurrection, Christianity fails. End of story. Without Jesus' resurrection, Christianity becomes just another hopeless, disappointing religion created by man, not by God. And so the resurrection is the keystone of the gospel. The risen Christ was the constant message of the early church. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is what gives the gospel its power. In Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, he repeatedly proclaimed the resurrection of Christ. He told the people assembled in Jerusalem, he said, you put Jesus to death by nailing him to the cross, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to hold him. God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses to this fact, Peter said. When Peter and John healed the lame man in Acts chapter 3, crowds of people gathered around wanting to know what happened because they knew this guy. He waited there every day on their way to the temple. He was there, laying there lame, asking for money. Again, Peter's message centered around the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peter said, The God of our fathers has glorified His servant Jesus. And it's by Jesus this man has been healed. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this. It was the grace of God that empowered the early church to witness boldly about the risen Christ. Acts 4.33 says, With great power the apostles continue to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. Well, last weekend in the story, we were talking about the crucifixion. It was kind of a downer day. Because it's the most morbid thing to talk about, to talk about Jesus' death. It was horrendous. It was horrible. It was terrifying. The only disciples who even stayed nearby to the bitter end were some of the women and the Apostle John, kind of off to the side, you know, cowering in fear. The rest of the disciples were nowhere to be seen. None of the rest of them saw Jesus die. It was too horrible. They were too fearful. And after the soldiers were confident that Jesus and the other men crucified that day were dead, they took their bodies down. Joseph and Nicodemus buried Jesus in Joseph's tomb. And then the Sabbath. And then the first day of the week. Follow along in Luke 24. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and they went to the tomb and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord, Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them and in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. 
Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. And then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven, to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, mother of James, the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb, bending over. He saw the strips of linen lying, themselves and lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself, wondering to himself what had happened. When the women reported the empty tomb, they couldn't believe it. Peter and John, we find out John's gospel, John went too, and they checked things out for themselves. It didn't make sense. They never dreamed that Jesus walked out of that tomb by his own power. The very idea of resurrection sounds impossible even today. But do you know that man has a fascination about resurrection? And man is fascinated with this topic. There's a new TV show. Did you see it? came out this week. I think it was March 9th. Called Resurrection. The storyline, what I could gather, I didn't see it, is that, that there are going to be people that come back from death and suddenly appear. The first story is about a little boy who was drowned at eight years old and his parents have grieved him for years. 35 years later, he appears still eight years old, but very much alive to his amazement of his parents. I guess story after story will be that. They're going to run this series through the time of Easter. Isn't that funny? But this fascination with Easter, with resurrection stories, people coming back from the grave. Did you hear the news story this week about the man who they thought had died and they put him in a body bag and they took him down to the morgue and then they heard sounds in the body bag? That never happened before, so they open it up, and he's still alive in there. Somebody mistakenly thought he had died. He did die a few days later. I think it's Thursday. He did finally die, and he's not coming back this time. Superhero movies, children's fantasies, legends, TV dramas often have this resurrection idea woven into their storyline somehow, somewhere, because this is a fascinating thing for people. And add to that this... This story about near-death experiences, haven't you heard those? Hasn't it been interesting to hear about a person that died on the offering table and then they, they were somehow able to resuscitate them, but they tell the story about how they left their body and they're looking back from a corner of the room and down what they did to bring them back to life. and They were drawn to this light, this bright light, but very welcoming light, and they wanted to go, but the voice behind the light said, you need to go back. Haven't you heard the story? Isn't it a fascinating story? Don't you want to know more about that? People that have those experiences generally are not afraid of death anymore because it was not as fearful as they thought it might be. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. As much as we would like to see our loved ones come back from the dead, it doesn't happen, does it? As tragic as it is when a child dies, a child dies, that's the end of their earthly life. We may see them again, but remember when David lost his little boy, he said, I may be able to go to him, but he cannot return to me. Remember he says that? So once they die, they die. and That's the end of their earthly existence. But notice the difference. When Jesus died, death couldn't hold him. Death couldn't control him. Death couldn't keep him. Jesus had what and has what Hebrews calls the power of an indestructible life. You can't kill this guy and keep him down. 
He literally died. His physical body died. But you could not keep Jesus from coming back. So was Jesus' resurrection real? How can we be confident that the resurrection stories are true? How do we know that the Bible isn't just a bunch of legends and fables passed down and that there were these, these ancient uh, writers, people back then, that, that scammed us, that, that want us to believe a lie? Well, I could point you to a lot of things. I could point you to several people that have gone through a tremendous journey trying to understand this. Josh McDowell, for instance, who started out a skeptic and went to extreme measures to disprove the resurrection of Christ. That was his whole point. I'm going to, I'm going to debunk this. I'm going to disprove this whole thing. And he wrote up what he learned in two important books, a little short one called More Than a Carpenter, and then a much greater one, actually two volumes, called Evidences That Demand a Verdict. And he said, here's what I found out. Here's the historical record. This is what it says, not only in the Bible, but elsewhere. Whatever I could find, I read. And in spite of his skepticism, McDowell was convinced by the evidence that Jesus' resurrection is real. I could tell you about Lee Strobel, who's an investigative reporter for the Chicago Tribune who did basically the same thing. He wanted to disprove the resurrection of Jesus, but instead came to faith in Jesus. He tells about his spiritual journey in two books, The Case for Faith, The Case for Christ. And I'd be glad to give you a copy of either one of those if you're interested. I could share the story of General Lew Wallace, previous generation, who was one day riding on a train with his friend who is a avowed atheist, Colonel Ingersoll. And they were talking about Christianity and how many people had been duped by the Christian story and by the stories about Jesus and the resurrection. And Ingersoll says to General Lew Wallace, he says, somebody ought to write a book. Somebody ought to tell everybody else that this is a bunch of nonsense. And you're just the man to write that book. And so General Lew Wallace took up the challenge. He says, I'm going to research this. I'm going to write that book. So he went through all the research about Jesus' life and ministry and the history that was behind it all, and he came to faith instead of disproving it. He became a Christian, and he wrote up his book you've probably heard of or you've seen the movie called Ben-Hur. We could go to story after story, but what I want you to do is make this journey for yourself. The eyewitnesses of the resurrected body of Christ are the key, the key to verifying the truth. Are they reliable? Are they trustworthy? Did they make this stuff up? Was this just a hoax, an elaborate scheme? The Apostle Paul shows us in 1 Corinthians 15 how many things that God said to, to make this Make this story true to show us that Jesus was alive. How many people saw him? How many evidences? And he gives a, a pretty short list, but there are many more in the Bible as well. Look at 1 Corinthians 15. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve. And after that, He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, He appeared to me also as to one abnormally born Christ died according to the Scriptures. He was buried, but on the third day He rose again, and He appeared in bodily form to many, many people, 
to prove that he was indeed alive again. Now the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, only add to this incredible amount of evidence that God has left for us to give uh, us so that we could verify that Jesus really came back from the grave. The eyewitnesses are trustworthy people. They had nothing to gain and everything to lose by declaring that he was raised from the dead. Think about that. What happened to these guys who preached the resurrection of Christ? Did they get rich? Did they get famous? Peter stuck to his story. In spite of threats from the Roman Empire, the Emperor Nero crucified him upside down. Andrew outraged the leaders at Petraean with scourge and then crucified, just like Jesus. James was beheaded by King Herod Agrippa. Tradition says that Bartholomew was flayed alive. Matthew was martyred in Ethiopia. James, the son of Alphaeus, was grabbed at the temple while declaring his faith. He was hurled to the ground and then they stoned him to death. No one would ever call these men cowards. They were willing to die for their convictions. Nothing could stop them from preaching about Jesus and his resurrection. Was Jesus' resurrection real? I want to encourage you, just examine the eyewitness accounts. Examine the evidence of all the historical accounts we have from 2,000 years ago. These testimonies are the most reliable. Believe them. Read them. And be convicted. I think you will be convinced that Jesus actually died on Calvary's cross, was buried in Joseph's tomb, and that on the third day he came back to life and over the next 40 days appeared to hundreds of people that he was alive again and forever. Second big question, will we be resurrected? Will we rise from the dead someday? Some people think that our life on earth is for 60, 70, 80, maybe 90 years. They think that that after that we die and it's the end. There's nothing else to expect after the grave. But Christians believe in a resurrection. Is there any reason for that? They believe not only that Jesus rose from the grave, but that everyone who puts their confidence in Jesus to save them from their sins will also be raised one day. In fact, everyone will be raised either to eternal life or to eternal death. We believe that we will experience a bodily resurrection that will give us an eternal, indestructible body in which we will live with God forever. This is our hope. This is our conviction. This is the, the thing we live by and trust in, that God can make His promise good. Someday we will have a resurrected body, a body not of the same type as the bodies we now live in, a body that is subject to decay, a body that is subject to disease and death. We will have a new body, a body that will live forever. And our souls will have this inhabitation, this dwelling for the rest of eternity. The resurrection is more than the keystone of the gospel. It is the inheritance of every believer. The Bible says that Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection. That means there's other fruit. And we're part of that fruit. The Bible says that those who are asleep in Christ will come with Him at His return. When He comes back, He's going to bring some people with Him that have already died. The Bible says that the disembodied souls of believers will be reunited with their new resurrected and immortal bodies. And the Bible says that those who are still alive when Christ returns will be caught up to meet them in the clouds. In Christ, all will be made alive. All who are in Christ will be raised just as He was raised. 
1 Corinthians 15.20 says, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, in Christ all will be made alive. That is our hope. That is our conviction. We will be raised even as Jesus was raised. Billy Graham asked, What was it that took the first company of disciples, cowering as they did behind locked doors, and transformed them into a band of champions of their crucified Lord? It was his resurrection. What power and influence changed the cross from an instrument of bloody torture into the most glorious and beloved of all symbols? It was the resurrection. What gave the great army of Christian martyrs and missionaries the love and the power to face death and penetrate poisonous jungles, cross deserts, hasten to the ends of the earth in their zeal to win disciples to Christ. It was the resurrection, wasn't it? The resurrection is our hope. The resurrection is our conviction. And as Jesus was raised, we too will be raised to eternal life with him. Some years ago, a fire broke out in a large two-story home in this, this uh, small town. Unfortunately, as the firefighters arrived, they saw that the parents had, had already died. First floor, but up in the second story window, they saw a little boy named Jonathan. Jonathan was up there looking out from that window, hoping somebody could rescue him. He was trapped up there on the upper floor. And they discovered very quickly that their ladder couldn't reach that far. They just had a little truck with a little ladder. One of the firefighters, seeing Jonathan in the window, rode that ladder out as far as he could and he got over to a part of the house and he saw that there was this pipe on the outside of the house that got over to that window. And so he got up to the ladder, climbed onto that pipe and started climbing his way, hand over hand, to that window. Finally got inside. He wrapped Jonathan up in a blanket and ran down through the fire of the first floor and saved his life. But in the process, his arms were severely burned climbing that pipe. Later, when the town held a meeting to determine who would adopt Jonathan, several people came forward and they said, I have the means, I have uh, the desire to take care of this child. Can he come and live in my house? And the last one to came forward, uh, come forward just made a simple statement. He says, you know, I, I want to adopt Jonathan. I love that boy. And they said, well, what proof do you have that you could do this? And he pulled up his sleeves and he showed them his scars. And that firefighter was awarded custody of that boy. He became Jonathan's father that day. Jesus proved his deep and abiding love for us by the scars that he bears still today. The first disciples saw those scars when they saw the resurrected Christ. Jesus said to Thomas, he said, See, here are the holes where they put the nails. Here's the place where they pierce my side with a spear. Touch the scars and be convinced. And Thomas fell on his knees and said, My Lord and my God, before Jesus that day. He proved by his scars how much he loved us, how far he would go to bring us safely home. And then he appeared to his disciples over and over again to prove that he was alive again and forevermore. As he appeared to them, he gave them his Holy Spirit and he gave them this commission that we'll talk about next week where he said, 
You are going to go out into all the world and you're going to preach this gospel and you're going to teach people about me and you're going to baptize them and then you're going to disciple them and then they're going to go and do the same all across the world. It is this same resurrection that we preach today. It is this same gospel or good news that we preach today. It is the same God that we are serving and the same Jesus that we are counting on to be there for us. Will you surrender your life today to Jesus? The one who by his scars proved his love. What he would go to, what lengths he would go to, to save you and to save me. Let's pray. Father, as we come before your word today, as we come before the gospel, the good news of Jesus, may we be impressed again or maybe anew with the great love that Jesus has for us. He is the only living God of planet Earth. There's so many false religions out there, so many things that people believe and trust in that, are, that cannot satisfy. But Jesus is true. And we come before you today just to declare our love for Jesus because he has loved us first. If there's anyone here today, Father, that needs to make a decision for Christ, may they do that. May they be drawn to him. If there's somebody that is really wondering about things, that are so much like those disciples that left that tomb, wondering what it could all mean, maybe, Lord, in the next few days or in the next few weeks, they will begin that journey to discover the truth, to know what the evidence shows, and they will open their hearts to you. Help us to help them. Help us all to be open to your Spirit who will lead us and guide us into the truth. And may we be convinced and convicted of that truth so that our lives could never be the same. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.